Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Ever since I mentioned that Joe Rogan had reached out to me about appearing on his podcast again, uh, a lot of people have been emailing me or posting, Peter, when are you going to be on Joe Rogan podcast? When are you going to be on the podcast? Initially, I was going to try to do it remotely. Uh, Joe was doing some remote interviews due to COVID, but a lot of people really thought that I should be uh, in studio to really experience the, the Joe Rogan experience, though I have experienced it three times in the past. But I did decide to wait until I was going to be out on the West Coast. And so I finally uh, booked the appearance July 14th, Joe Rogan podcast. I did it to coincide with my appearance at Freedom Fest. You know, I really wasn't sure whether or not I was going to go to Freedom Fest this year for obvious reasons, but I decided to do it, uh, especially since I could work in the Joe Rogan podcast uh, during a Freedom Fest and so kind of killed two birds with one stone. And by the way, you know, if you want to join me at Freedom Fest, I welcome you to come down. It is July 13th through the 16th at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. Um, you know, for many people, it might be your first time venturing out, getting on an airplane, checking into a hotel. You know, I looked at the fares from uh, the New York area, New York, New Jersey, out to Las Vegas. They're actually still very, very cheap. You know, I had thought that the fares had bounced back, but at least on this route, they have not. There's a lot of bargains. And by the way, I noticed that the airlines are blocking out every other seat. So the planes are going to be particularly empty. So there's lots of cheap seats available if you want to fly. I guess the catch is you're going to have to wear a mask. Uh, So for me, I mean, I haven't had a mask on for five hours at a time. So we'll see what that's like. But um, I'm going to do it. Um, You know, when, when we came to Uh, Connecticut from Puerto Rico, we ended up flying private. So I didn't have to wear a mask. But you know, I had the kids, my mom, a friend, the dog, the cat. So it was a whole group of us. So it seemed to make a lot of sense. But this trip is just going to be me and my 17 year old Spencer. He's coming out to Vegas with me. Uh, So we're not going to have a booth. We normally have a booth at Freedom Fest this time. It's just going to be me there with my son. But you're welcome to join us. I'm sure they still have tickets. Um, probably going to be a uh, more sparsely attended Freedom Fest than what they normally have. 
uh, but I think it'll be a good time. And then what I'm going to be doing is the 14th, which is really the first full day. I think, you know, there's registration on the 13th, but I'm going to have to miss the 14th because that's the day that I'm going to fly to L.A. to do the Rogan experience. And I'm going to come back that evening and I'll be at Freedom Fest for the 15th and the 16th. That's when my talks are. I have a talk on the 15th, another one on the 16th. They're still trying to work out the schedule. You know, actually, a friend of mine and client volunteered to fly me on his private jet from uh, Las Vegas, where he lives, to L.A. and back. So that's going to make it much easier and more convenient for me uh, to make the quick trip. All I got to do is pay for the fuel, which I volunteered to do, which is actually quite cheap. We looked at the price and jet fuel right now is uh, is a bargain uh, compared to what it used to cost, which is one of the reasons why flying private right now uh, is uh, a much better deal. Not that it's inexpensive. It's, it, it's not. But I mean, more people are giving it a try because of the temporary drop in the price of jet fuel. Well, enjoy that while it lasts, because I don't believe it's going to last much longer. But anyway, uh, you can sign up for Freedom Fest. It's not a free conference. You got you to gotta pay to register. So go to freedomfest.com. I'm not sure if I have even a promotional code. Maybe check in shift. Maybe you, you get some kind of discount. If you uh, if you put my name in there, it's at Caesar's Palace is the hotel. Again, I went there. I booked a room. The rates are really, really low, too. So you got cheap hotels right now because very few people are staying there. Not a lot of demand. Uh, And my secret to Vegas is I always book a regular room. And then when I get there, I upgrade to the best room that I can get. And normally, the cost of the upgrade is dirt cheap compared to what it costs to book in advance. Right. When you just go there last minute. Uh, and just asked, hey, you know, can you upgrade me? Usually for 100 bucks a night or something like that, you can get a room that would have cost you an extra four or $500 a night, $1,000 a night. Because if they haven't sold it and you're there that day, they figure, well, if they don't, you know, get a little extra money out of you, the room's just going to go empty. So I've pretty much done that. I've never, I've never not been able to upgrade to a much better uh, room or suite, usually is what I do uh, when I'm in Vegas. I just can't bring myself to actually pay the price to reserve in advance when I've been conditioned so many times that if I just do it last minute, I'm going to get a, a much better deal. Now let's go on to the markets. Let's start with the star, and that is gold. It followed up on yesterday's gain with another gain today, about $14. We closed around seventeen sixty-eight. This is a new eight-year high for the price of gold. We finally took out the high uh, that we made in April. And even though gold itself took out the April highs, gold stocks aren't even close. I think the GDX still needs another 6% rise from here, which is a you know pretty decent sized move to get back to where it was in April. But you, know, you look at individual stocks. I mean, Newmont Mining, for example, which was one of the leaders on the way up, Newmont would have to rise by almost 20% from where it is right now, just to get back to where it was in April when the price of gold was lower than it is right now. And I have been pointing out this uh, disparity for this entire gold rally, which has been going on for years, and that is the metal has been leading the stocks. It's like the metal is dragging the stocks higher. They don't want to go higher, but they can't help it 
because gold is going up. And almost every time gold goes up, I think gold stock traders are looking for reasons to sell, not reasons to buy, because they have been skeptical of this rally the entire time, especially during COVID. Because ever since we got the rally, or this this more recent rally, people just assume that it's a temporary deal, right? Oh, people are just flooding into gold. It's a safe haven. They're worried about uh, COVID-19. They're worried about the stock market going down. They're worried about recession and all that. And so they're, they're seeking out safe havens. But, you know, once the dust settles, they'll, they'll be taking the safe havens off. They'll be getting out of those trades. They'll be getting back into stocks. And, and so they expect gold to fall. In fact, you know, the stock market has continued to rise. The NASDAQ, I think, made another new high, uh, not to down the S&P, but they were up today. And I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but I think stocks going higher has caused a lot of people to just assume that gold would sell off and it would bring gold stocks with it. So, I mean, everybody who's in these gold stocks, they've, they've got one foot, you know, out the door. They, they don't expect the momentum to continue Yet gold continues to go up anyway. Gold continues to make new highs. And in fact, if you look at all of these safe haven assets, and the main ones being gold, U.S. treasuries, and the U.S. dollar. And I know also, you know, with the new U.S. dollar, you can look at other safe haven currencies like the yen or the Swiss franc. Uh, but the one most people think of is the U.S. dollar. So let's think about those three. You have a currency safe haven, the dollar. You have U.S. Treasuries, which are really another way of owning the U.S. dollar. They're almost like the same thing, but they're, they're a little bit different. And then you have gold, right? But they're all considered to be safe haven assets. Now, I'm not going to throw Bitcoin into this category, though a lot of people think it belongs there. Bitcoin is the ultimate risk asset. And so I'm not even going to put it in the discussion of, of safe havens, even though I don't believe that U.S. dollars or bonds are a safe haven. But what I believe is of no consequence here. It's what other people believe that is important, because if people believe something is a safe haven, well, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in, until it's not, until that belief is exposed as being false and, and, and the whole thing collapses. But there is a perception out there that uh, the dollar and U.S. treasuries are safe havens. And so initially, when everybody was panicking and dumping their risk assets, treasury bond prices hit record highs, yields plunged to record lows. We got a rally in the dollar. And after an initial decline, we got a rally in gold, right? But of those three safe havens, the only one that continues to rise is gold. I mean, gold was up today. Treasuries were down. The dollar was down. In fact, the dollar index uh, has been weakening again. It was weakening. It had a small bounce for a couple of days, and now it's back under 97 at 96.68. Uh, looks to me like it's headed for a new low for this move. Uh, bond prices are also uh, creeping higher, lower rather, yields creeping higher. You know, we're up at about 1.5% yield on the 30-year. Uh, so the only safe haven that is gaining, that is now higher than it was in, in, in March or in April, is gold. And so why is that? Why is gold the only safe haven left standing, which is really what I said was going to happen? And, and, and that's because the real risk, the real threat is not or was not plunging stock prices or COVID-19. The real threat is inflation. 
That's what people are seeking out a safe haven from. It's the central banks. It's not that we have COVID-19 and a recession, but it's the monetary policy response to the recession. It's not the damage done from COVID-19. It's the damage done from the monetary policy response to COVID-19 and to the monetary policy response to the fiscal policy response. The fiscal response is to spend more money, and then the Fed's response to that is to print the money uh, to make the spending possible so that government doesn't have to seek out private sources for those funds, either through taxation or uh, through legitimate borrowing. So the Fed is monetizing it. But that is what investors need safety from. So the reason that gold is the only safe haven that's still going up is because it's the only safe haven that provides safety, that is a haven, against inflation and global uh, fiat currency debasement. And in fact, the entire reason for the stock market rally is because currency is being debased, because central banks are inflating. And that monetary policy, while it's you know bullish nominally for stock prices, it is far more bullish for gold prices. In fact, when central banks are doing that, real stock prices, which would be stock prices you know measured in gold, should be going down. And in fact, they are going down. The Dow Jones is still, I think, slightly down on the year. I forget the percentage. It's a small percent. The NASDAQ is up a bit. But gold is up 16.5% this year. That means all stock markets are losing value in 2020 priced in in gold. Regardless of what they're doing in their own currencies, gold is beating every stock market so far year to date, including the high-flying NASDAQ. You know, if gold repeats this 16.5% gain that it had in the first half of the year, and of course, the first half of the year isn't even over yet. I mean, we still have what, another week or so left in June. But just even if we just ended here, if we have the same gain in the second half of the year that we had in the first half of the year, gold's going to finish the year above 2000 which means you know it's breaking out, it's taking out the 2011, 1900 high. Now, of course, I think if Donald Trump loses in November, which it's very likely that he will, I think that we could easily see the price of gold above 2000 on election night. And of course, if people believe that Trump is going to lose on election day, then maybe the price of gold will be above 2000 even sooner. Because I think it's clear that a Trump loss means even bigger government than a Trump victory. Not that a Trump victory means smaller government. No, a Trump victory means bigger government too. It just will be even bigger if Biden is president. And the deficits, which are huge under Trump and which will be even bigger in his second term, if he has one, than they were during his first, you know, they'll be even larger still in a Biden administration. And so the money printing will be off the charts, not only to fund this laundry list of, you know, socialist programs, but also reparations, which you can now throw on the pile. I'm not really sure what form uh, slavery reparations is going to take, but one thing for sure, it's going to take a lot of money printing to pay for it. And so gold will go through the roof uh, on election night if it hadn't already done so based on the realization that Biden's going to win. I mean, I think people are still in denial of this fact. I mean, the polls are overwhelmingly showing and the betting odds that Trump is going to lose. 
Uh, but people don't want to believe that because they, well, the polls were wrong lot last time. You know, well, just because they were wrong last time doesn't mean they were wrong this time. And by the way, he's an even bigger underdog now uh, than, he, than, he, than he was uh, back then. And even though he won, you know, the election was close. The, the states that he won in, the swing states, he didn't win in landslides. He barely won. And in all those states now, he's losing by much bigger margins uh, than he won by. And as I said many times before, when people closet Trump voters who voted for Trump the first time, you know, I mean, it was like, OK, let's see what happens. It's a wild card. I mean, it was a protest vote. That's what voting for Trump was. It was a in your face. I'm sick and tired of the system. I want to throw a monkey wrench in it. Uh, that's why a lot of people voted for Trump. They didn't want to admit that they were voting for him, but that's what they wanted. I mean, there are a lot of people, you know, they said, hey, if, if Trump wins, all hell's going to break loose. And I think there were some voters who wanted to see what it's like when all hell breaks loose, right? Well, you know, that that's not going to happen. He's not an unknown quantity anymore. He's not really shaking up the system. It's not a protest vote to vote to reelect the incumbent, uh, it's more of a protest vote now to vote for Biden, even though Biden is just more of the same. Uh, you know, he's different than the guy that's there. And you generally, if you're upset at the status quo, you don't reelect the guy that's the incumbent. You vote for whoever the challenger is, even if that guy is going to be worse. At least it's not the same guy. Uh, and so I, I don't see that closet uh, Trump vote. Uh, that I and I predicted that I was one of the people that was saying, "Hey, I think Trump's support is being underestimated by these polls." Uh, well, now I don't think that's the case. I think the polls are more likely to be correct now uh, than they were back then. And, and so the markets, though, I think are still in denial. And if they're, you know, if they're just remain in denial up until election night, then gold's going to have a spectacular rise uh, on the night of the election. Although, of course, you know. Uh, when in 2016, right, everybody believed that Hillary Clinton was a shoe in to win. And they thought that, well, if Trump wins in the unlikely event that he does, the stock market is going to crash. And what ended up happening is Trump won, which nobody thought would happen. And then the stock market didn't crash. It rallied. What would have caused the stock market to tank would have been a Hillary Clinton win because everybody assumed that Hillary Clinton was good for the stock market, which made no sense. I never accepted the narrative that Trump victory was inherently bearish for the stock market, given the fact that Trump was a more business friendly candidate, promising less regulations and lower taxes. Those are good things for the market. Well, what uh, Biden is promising, in fact, he's going to deliver more than he promises, is a lot more regulation and a lot more taxation. So there's no way you can spin that as a stock market positive. The only thing the stock market is going to have is going to be the Fed. But that's not going to be enough, certainly not to cause real stock market gains, maybe nominal gains. But I think before we get any nominal gains, we're likely to get a nominal collapse in stock prices because the market is so stretched as it is. And by the way, you know, the stock market and the gold market both opened higher on the day. And while the stock market sold off into the close and the Dow still managed to be up on the day, right? The Dow was up 130 points, but it was up near 300, maybe 280, 290 at the high. And so relative to where it traded, it was at the lower end of the range. In fact, it gapped up 
uh, close to 200. I think the lowest it closed was right about at the end of the day. The close was about the low of where the market traded all day long. So I think that the market has been looked weak, even though it was up yesterday as well. I think the market still looks weak to me. It still looks toppy, like it's going to roll over, just like I mentioned on Bitcoin. Bitcoin has inched a few hundred dollars higher than it was over the last couple of days. But again, the chart still looks very toppy. The one chart that doesn't is gold. And, you know, gold stocks, even though they gapped up and gold ended up closing at the high of the day, higher than it's open, the gold stocks drifted lower. Uh, they held on to their gains, though. Uh, so they didn't, they didn't sell off at the end of the day like the stock market. But they didn't make new highs along with gold because I think everybody was assuming that the price of gold was going to sell off. And so they were reluctant uh, to really come in buying in the gold stocks. But if you look at a chart right now, I don't really see any near-term resistance in the price of gold. Uh, the only real resistance is around the record highs. I think maybe there could be some psychological resistance when we get above 1,800. We shall soon see. We could easily get to that number uh, this week, maybe even as soon as tomorrow. But, you know, I do think we need to see a, a bigger move. I mean, we keep moving up which is great as far as I'm concerned, because this slow and steady rise where we're climbing a wall of worry is perfect because it's allowing more clients to buy physical gold at Shift Gold. It's allowing more clients uh, to get gold stocks with me, either through my managed accounts or by buying the gold fund. By, by the way, I think today my gold fund is going to go above $200 million in AUM uh, for the first time ever. You know, it started the year we were just above 100 million, maybe like 100 to 110 million. And now we're at 200 million. About 90% of that gain is not appreciation. It's, it's inflows. So basically, I think I started that fund six or seven years ago. But in the first half of this year, we added as much money as during the first six years I had the fund, right? In the first half of this year, we took in as much money as the prior six. You know, so I can see... Uh, the interest picking up. You know, I mentioned that Shift Gold, I think I mentioned that I we had the most profitable quarter, not only in the history of the business, but Shift Gold made more money in the last quarter as a business than it made in any prior year since I started the business. Uh, so we got a an influx of, of new buying, but still, I think this is just a drop in the ocean of what's coming. But I think that if we get a big move, maybe a $100 move up in the price of gold, not just 10, 15, $20, but if we get a decisive move up in the price of gold, that might be enough to get a lot of these fence sitters into the game. A lot of the people who are reluctant to pull the trigger, uh, I think will then be believers. And I think once that happens, then we're off to the races. Now, maybe we won't get that kind of move. Maybe it's going to take a move above 2000 in the price of gold. Maybe there are people thinking, oh, well, you know, it's never going to take out 1900 So what's the point of buying these gold stocks? There's all this resistance. Maybe we need to blaze into uncharted territory uh, before people are finally willing to embrace this rally, which is fine with me. I mean, the slower the rally is, the more money I'm going to be able to 
raise, right? the, the more clients that I'm going to get on board. And I, my own money, too. I mean, I, you know, I can still buy. I still think that there's values out there. I mean, I like to buy the dips. I bought a lot of gold stocks, as I was saying, on this program. Uh, when we had that big sell-off in March, I was buying. I was buying my fund. I bought some individual names. So I love to buy them when they're giving them away. Uh, but, you know, at some point, no one's going to give them away. I mean, the, the reason that the price of gold is rising is people are still foolish enough to sell it. They don't realize that if they just held on, they can sell it for a much higher price. You know, eventually, I think the only sellers are going to be the mining companies, the people that are in the business of mining and selling gold, because it doesn't make any sense. If you own gold, why sell it? I mean, what are you going to do with it? Right. What are you going to buy? Right. I mean, I, I mean, I guess if you want to consume something, but to buy to sell gold, to, to go into dollars or some other fiat currency makes no sense whatsoever. So whatever money you're saving, you should continue to save it in gold and don't even consider uh, moving it into a, a paper uh, money substitute. But I want to uh, finish up the podcast by talking about the U.S. dollar and the uh, idea that we're going to have this big, big dollar rally, right? That before the dollar ultimately meets its demise, at some point in the future, it's going to have a spectacular rally first, right? One uh, theory that's out there that kind of sees it this way is called the milkshake theory. And I've gotten a lot of people have uh, asked me about the milkshake theory. And this is Brett Johnson came up with that name. And many of you might have seen uh, my uh, debates with Brett Johnson uh, at uh, the Cambridge House Vancouver Resource Conference I actually made a bet with Brett Johnson two years ago at the end of 2018. We bet a gold coin, or it was early 2019, and the bet was what will the Fed do next, uh, hike rates or cut them. Uh, Brent bet hike, I bet cut, I won, and he paid me a gold coin. When he paid me that coin, we made another bet. And this bet was more on his milkshake theory. We bet would the dollar index be higher or lower a year from now, and a year from now will be January in 2021. Uh, Brett Johnson bet that the dollar would be higher. I bet that it would be lower. As of now, it's lower. It's not substantially lower, uh, but it is lower. But I think by the time uh, we meet again in Vancouver, it will be quite a bit lower, and I'm going to collect my second uh, gold coin. But Brett Johnson's view He's named it the milkshake theory as to why the dollar, despite all of its flaws, is going to rally anyway. And a lot of that, too, has to do with the idea that, well, it's the cleanest, dirty shirt in the hamper. But uh, Brett Johnson believes, and other people, too, he's not the only guy that has this view, although I think he's the only guy that, that calls it a milkshake uh, theory. But it has to do with all of the, the debt, all of the dollar-denominated debt that is out in the world. I mean, people think that if all this debt is defaulted on, that that means that these dollars uh, no longer exist, right? Because the debt goes into default. And that is a deflationary thing where the supply of dollars goes down because people who thought they were going to get dollars end up not getting them because the person who they loaned them to can't pay them back. And so now they have to go and try to replace the dollars they lost. And so supply of dollars goes down, demand for dollars goes up, and, and, and the price goes up. And Brett Johnson, I mean, he calls this the milkshake theory 
based on uh, you know, this, this movie, There Will Be Blood. It's a movie about oil tycoons. And I think there's one scene in the movie where this one guy is basically threatening his neighbor that if he doesn't sell him his property, that he's going to just horizontally drill deep beneath the ground and he's going to basically, you know, suck out his oil, you know, from, you know, from, from next door. Or he's not going to buy it, but he's going to steal it uh, by, you know, basically having a straw like a milkshake and he's going to drink the other guy's oil. And so basically what Brett Jonathan thinks is the United States, we're basically sticking a straw in every other economy and sucking in all the money, right? That the U.S. dollar is sucking up all the capital from all over the world. And again, he's also focusing on all the dollar debt, right? Especially when we just had this big uh, collapse with a big recession related to COVID. The idea was, oh, now a lot of these companies around the world and the emerging markets that have borrowed in dollars, they're not going to be able to service their debts. They're not going to be able to repay their debts because their revenues are down. It's a recession. And so now there's going to be a mad scramble for dollars, and you're going to have this surge in the dollar. Except it really didn't happen. I mean, yes, the dollar went up in the middle of all the chaos in March of 2020. The dollar did rally all the way up to just under 103. That's it. That is the highest the dollar index could go as stocks were imploding all over the world and we were engulfed in a pandemic, right? The biggest panic I've ever seen, right? The the quickest and sharpest decline in global equity prices. And all the dollar index could do was rise to 102.9. It did not even get back to its 2017 peak. It didn't even get as high as its 2015 peak. So you had this double top in the dollar with the highs of 2015 and 2017. And despite all the pandemonium, all the panic, this strong dollar could not even take out that resistance. That tells you that the dollar is not nearly as strong as people think it is. Because if it couldn't take out those peaks, given all that was happening in March, why would it do it later? I mean, even treasury prices made new record highs. Bond yields made new record lows. But the dollar, not even, I mean, didn't even come close to a record high. I mean, forget about that. A record high is way, way away. But it couldn't even take out the highs of 2015 or 2017. That tells you that this milkshake theory is all wet. But, you know, I also want to talk about the, the fundamentals of this theory because it doesn't even make any sense. I mean, maybe on the surface, when you hear guys like Brett Johnson explain it, and by the way, I like Brett. He's a nice guy. You know, I've never uh, heard him say anything negative about me in an interview. I mean, sometimes he says something negative about me when I'm there, you know, on a panel, he'll, you know, but, but not behind my back. Whenever I've, I've heard an interview uh, with him, he's always defended me. He says nice things about me. So he's a stand-up guy. Uh, We have a legitimate difference of opinion. And, you know, he's not, you know, calling me names or attacking me for having that opinion, but he articulates his own theory. But I think he's missing some big flaws in that theory. But when he talks about, hey, there's all this dollar-denominated debt in the world, right? And what if uh, the borrowers Uh, you know, need those dollars or they do need the dollars, right? They need the dollars to make interest payments. 
and then they need the dollars to pay off the principal when the loan is due. And somehow he thinks that this means there's this huge demand out there for dollars. And in fact, there could be the equivalent of a global short squeeze as everybody who owes dollars is rushing uh, to get those dollars. But the problem is when you look at it from one side, right, the, the borrower, you forget about looking at it from the lender's perspective, right? The person who ha has loaned out dollars and is expecting to get repaid, right? Because not everybody who is going to get repaid dollars wants those dollars. A lot of people sell the dollars as soon as they get them, right? What if I am a guy and I, I live in Thailand and I loan money to a business in Indonesia, but we don't want to make the loans in the bot or the rupee. So we agree to do the loans in the U.S. dollar, right? To have a stable currency that we both trust, right? So the guy in Indonesia owes the guy in Thailand dollars. But when the loan is repaid or when the interest is repaid, does the guy in Thailand, does he keep the dollars? No, he turns around and sells them, most likely as soon as he gets them. I mean, if he's getting his interest payments and then he needs them to pay his rent or to pay other local bills, he doesn't pay those bills in dollars. Even though the bond is denominated in dollars, when he gets the dollars, he turns them into his local currency. So even though you have the Indonesian company having to buy dollars to repay the loan, as soon as the loan is repaid, the dollars are turned around and sold. So you get plenty of people selling dollars because of dollar loans as buying dollars. And of course, you know, a lot of the companies that have these dollar debts, it's not like they, you know, they just have no money to repay them. A lot of these companies have a sinking fund and they, they build up uh, their dollars over time knowing they have a, a, a maturity coming and they want to make sure they have the money to pay it. And of course, they're earning revenue. A lot of the companies that have dollar debt, number one, a lot of these companies have dollar revenue. They're actually earning dollars. And so they can use the dollars they earn uh, to pay the interest. But even companies that have no dollar revenue, but dollar debt, they still have revenue in other currencies. And so they have the ability to pay the debt because they take the currencies they have and they convert them into dollars. Now that's when guys like Brett Johnson will say, yeah, you see all those people converting uh, their foreign currencies to dollars will drive the dollar up. Not necessarily. You got to look at the other side of the equation because at the same time that is happening, plenty of people are turning dollars into their local currencies. There's two sides of a market. There are people buying dollars and there are people selling dollars. In fact, people are buying and selling dollars more than any other currency. So just because there's a lot of loans that need to be repaid or interest payments that have to be made doesn't mean the dollar is going to go up especially when the people receiving those dollar payments are likely to turn around and sell them to get other currencies. Now, one of the reasons that they may not sell them is maybe they want to invest them. Maybe they want to take the dollars that they earned and you know, make another dollar denominated loan, or maybe they want to take those dollars and buy U.S. stocks or U.S. bonds or something like that, right? So maybe they'll stay in the dollar. But what if they don't want to do that? What if when the loan is repaid, they decide they don't want to make another dollar loan or they don't want to buy a U.S. stock? Maybe they want to buy a local stock, which to them would be a foreign stock to us. Maybe they think the U.S. stock market is too expensive. Maybe they think the U.S. bond market is too expensive, which they are, right? Maybe U.S. financial assets are going to lose their appeal. And so a lot of dollar-denominated debt, as it matures, the 
lender is now going to be dumping those dollars to get a different currency so that he can invest in assets in another country that have better valuations. See, I think that is the key that all the dollar bulls are missing. Is this going to be this massive glut of dollars with no demand? Of course, you know, they have to overlook the trade deficit, right? The trade deficit automatically means that there's an extra half a trillion dollars on the global market every year, right, that nobody needs, right? Because that's the deficit. We, we buy goods and then we pay for them by exporting paper. I mean, we, we pay for some of the goods with our own goods. We export goods and services, but there's a big gap. And the difference is over half a trillion dollars a year. So now the world's got a half a trillion dollars a year that it's not using to buy goods and services in America. So what is it going to do? It's either going to sell those dollars on the market and, and, or it can invest those dollars in U.S. financial assets. And of course, they, the, 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 the person who earns the dollars doesn't have to be the one that does the investing because he can sell the dollars to somebody who's buying them because they want to do the investing. But the key is you have to have enough demand from outside the United States in buying U.S. assets. People have to want U.S. assets in order to buy those dollars. But the problem is going to be U.S. assets are massively overpriced relative to the assets in the rest of the world. Our bond market and our stock market are way overpriced. So at some point, there's this huge glut of dollars on the market, and that demand that was coming from investors to get into U.S. financial assets is not going to be there. Meanwhile, the supply of dollars is going to increase dramatically, not just from our trade deficits, but from our budget deficits. I already mentioned on this podcast, but right now about 55 cents out of every dollar the federal government is spending is being printed by the Federal Reserve. Most of the government is being financed with newly printed money. So the supply of dollars is growing dramatically. Well, what does that mean about price? Price has to come down. This is basic supply and demand. It doesn't matter about all these dollar-denominated loans. And of course, those loans are only a problem for the borrower if the dollar is rising, right? When the dollar is going up and you've borrowed money in dollars and you didn't hedge and you just borrowed in dollars, as the dollar is going up, that loan is a problem for you because it's more expensive to service it. It's more expensive to repay it. It's not a problem for the lender. It's, it's, it's a benefit because now he's getting paid in a currency that has appreciated. And so as he's turning it back into his local currency, uh, he's getting more units of it, right? So it's, it's a loss for the borrower, but it's, it's a windfall for the lender. It works in reverse when the dollar starts falling. When the dollar starts declining, now the problem is for the lender, not the borrower. The borrower is loving it. The borrower gets to repay his loans uh, with cheaper dollars. So that means he doesn't need as much of his own local currency to make the interest payments or to repay the principal. The guy who gets screwed is the lender. And I think what's going to happen is more and more lenders are getting screwed by a weak dollar. They're not going to want to lend dollars anymore. And the only way that you can convince them to lend is if you pay them a much higher interest. So I think ultimately a weak dollar is going to cause a sharp increase in interest rates because a lot of people are going to want to borrow dollars even more, right? When the dollar is weak, borrowers want to borrow because they could repay uh, in, in cheaper money. But lenders don't want to lend because they're getting screwed as they're getting repaid in cheaper money. The only way you can even it out 
is to increase the interest rate to compensate the lender for the loss of purchasing power. Well, as interest rates on dollar denominated debt around the world are going up, that's going to put a lot of pressure on the Fed because now interest rates will have to rise domestically too. But the Fed can't let them rise domestically because we can't afford to pay. So that puts even more pressure on the Fed to print even more money to prevent rates from rising in the U.S. the way they're rising outside the U.S., right? And and so that just adds fuel to the fire because now the inflation is more, more money printing, more dollar debasement. So I actually think the fact that there's so much dollar denominated debt floating around the world, that is not the reason the dollar is going to rally. That's the reason it's going to get killed. It's going to be all the owners of this debt that don't want to roll it over, that don't want to continue to hold U.S. dollar debt that want to sell their dollars as soon as they receive them. As soon as they get the interest payments, as soon as they get the principal payments, they're going to be looking to sell their dollars. In fact, there may be a lot of people that just want to get out of their dollar loans before they mature. They'll just put them up for sale and they'll be marked down because people want to get off a sinking ship. I mean, right now you have the perception uh, that the dollar is the cleanest dirty shirt in the hamper. And so People are willing to hold on to it. People are negotiating loans in a currency that they perceive to be stronger than their local currencies. Well, when it turns out that their perception was wrong, that the dollar is weaker, and it's going to get killed. I mean, once it starts falling, there is no stopping it. There is no floor. We had a floor, right? The, the, in 2008, the dollar was going to crack, right? It ended up getting saved, ironically, by the 2008 financial crisis. But then after the Federal Reserve launched quantitative easing and the dollar started to roll over, what prevented it from taking out the 2008 lows were the emerging market central banks. They were so terrified of their currencies rising against the dollar that they took you know, decisive action to debase their own currencies to prevent their currencies from going up. And then they had to pay a price for that. And I don't think that they're going to make the same mistake again. There's not going to be another currency war. The, you know, the, the dollar's just going to lose. There's not going to be a contest. And in fact, I've said on this podcast, the key to propping up the dollar and the reason that we had a lid on the price of gold was that the Fed successfully convinced everybody that uh, 0% interest rates was a one-off emergency measure that would never happen again, uh, that it worked, thank God, and now the Fed was going to normalize interest rates, and that the balance sheet you know, was going to shrink back down to where it was before the crisis. It only blew up temporarily based on this unprecedented emergency, and now that the emergency was all over, the Fed was going to put away the tools, and we were going to watch the paint dry as the balance sheet went back down below a trillion, right? And the markets were dumb enough to believe this fantasy, even though I pointed out many, many times the absurdity of it, because it was impossible to do what the Fed claimed it could easily do. Well, at this point, it's not even claiming that. The Fed is not even pretending that it can shrink its balance sheet. The Fed is not even pretending that it can ever normalize interest rates. So there's no reason that anybody is going to believe that it can do either of those things when even the Fed is not dumb enough at this point to try to claim that it can. Right. Uh, so there is nothing to stop the dollar from collapsing. There is nothing to stop gold from going up. And I think once we get a more decisive drop in the dollar, it'll be obvious to more people 
that the milkshake theory is all wet or any other theory. There are a lot of people, right, that expect the dollar to go up. They're worried about things happening, bad things happening, and they think that, oh, well, that means the dollar is going to go up, right? So people are holding on the dollars as a hedge because everybody assumes that if something bad happens, the dollar is going to go up. Well, what if they're wrong, right? Just like I mentioned about the assumptions about the election. Everybody assumed that Trump was a long shot. He'd never win, but oh my God, if he does, the market's going to get killed. And Trump won, but then the market went up. So like, even if you thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, and because you thought Hillary was going to win, you bought the stock market, you won anyway. Even though you were wrong about what you thought was going to happen, you still made money because the stock market went up because Trump won, not because Hillary won. But so if a lot of people just assume that the next time there's a big problem, the dollar is going to go up. It's not. In fact, the next big problem is going to be the dollar going down. And the fact that it went up by such a small amount during the last collapse that we just had in March, the next time the dollar is going down. In fact, I think the next time the dollar is going to be leading the market's down. And that's going to be a bigger problem. And not just the dollar, but the bond market, the treasury bond market. Because when the dollar and the bond market are collapsing, that's when it's really bad for stocks. That's when stocks have a big problem. Because when the dollar and treasuries rise as stocks fall, that kind of acts as a buffer. It's a floor beneath the market. It helps provide a cushion, right? Or, or a floor that ultimately the next rally ends up being built on because it was the plunging yields, right, that, that you know, provided the impetus to buy stocks. Oh, we got to get rid of our bonds now and, and, and move into stocks. And of course, also buying corporate bonds that helps out the companies that are issuing those bonds. So when you had a rising bond market and a rising dollar, that helped the market. And of course, a strong dollar helps bring foreign capital into the U.S. because it improves the relative return on U.S. stocks when you have a increasing dollar offsetting the losses. But when the dollar and the bond market are tanking, that is simply adding to the problems of the stock market and to the overall perception that this is not just a weak stock market. It's everything about the U.S. It's basically a run on U.S. assets. Investors are losing confidence in the United States they're using confidence in the dollar and dollar-dominant financial assets. So they're selling stocks, they're selling bonds, and they're selling the dollar simultaneously. And if, if, if investors haven't lost confidence in the U.S. economy yet, <laughs> wait, wait until next year. I mean, to me, just watching the news, looking at what's going on now, look at the protests, look at the riots, look at the political discourse. How can anybody still have confidence in the U.S. economy, given the self-inflicted damage that's currently being done? But we are telegraphing to the world that we don't give a damn about fiscal responsibility. There isn't even the pretense that we're going to do something about these deficits at some distant point in the future. The pedal is to the metal. There is no limit to how big these deficits will be. There's no limit to how much money we'll print. Well, you know what? There is a limit because it's going to be imposed on us by the rest of the world, by our creditors. If we won't act responsibly on our own, which we clearly won't, then it's the rest of the world that's going to force uh, those decisions upon us. 
But before that happens, you got to make sure that you're properly positioned. Right? Don't wait for the price of gold to be 2000 or 3000 before you buy yours. Or don't wait for the 100 or 200 point update or dollar update in gold to buy your gold stocks. Buy them now. I mean, the fact that they're still, you know, so far off their April highs, given that gold has made a new high, uh, you got a great bargain. You know, load up, load up on my gold fund, the Euro Pacific gold fund. Uh, you know, EPGFX, you can buy it directly at EuroPacificFunds.com on my website. Uh, you could buy it Schwab, Fidelity. You can talk to one of the brokers at Euro Pacific Capital. Read the prospectus. Make sure you understand the risks. Gold stocks are risky, right? I think gold is more of a safe haven. I look at gold as an alternative to dollars and euros and yen. I look at gold stocks as an alternative to other stocks. You know, you have a lot of people gambling and money losing NASDAQ stocks. These gold companies aren't losing money. They're making more money than ever, and they're raising their dividends. Is there risk? Sure. But I think the upside potential is more than worth it. And for the money that's not in gold stocks, you still can't leave it in the U.S. dollar. The dollar is going to get killed and you're going to get killed along with it if you continue to hold it. So you've got to get rid of dollars and you've got to buy assets, stocks, bonds in other countries uh, where the economies are sounder and where those currencies are going to gain in value against the dollar. Look, all currencies are going to lose in value. In fact, you know, when, when Brett Johnson talks about the milkshake theory, he does talk about gold going up, and he is bullish on gold, although he did expect gold to fall before it went up, and he, he got that wrong because it went up before it's going to go up even more. Uh, but he thinks that gold and the dollar are going to go up together, which is actually technically inaccurate. Gold and the dollar never go up together. If gold is going up in dollars, then the dollar is going down because gold is measuring the purchasing power of the dollar. So if the dollar price of gold is going up, that means the dollar is going down. Now, it's possible that the dollar could be going down more slowly than other currencies. So let's say the euro and the yen are losing value faster than the dollar. Well, then the, the dollar is going up in terms of those currencies. But the dollar's not going up. Look, if I'm going backwards 10 miles an hour and the car next to me is going backwards 20 miles an hour, that doesn't mean I'm going forwards. No, I'm still going backwards. I'm just not going backwards as fast as the other guy. So the dollar is weak. It's just not as weak as the euro or the yen temporarily. That is changing now because now we're starting to see the dollar weaker. But gold is going to go up in every currency, regardless of what those paper currencies do relative to one another. But if gold has been this strong during an environment where the dollar is less weak than other fiat currencies, imagine how much stronger gold is going to be when the dollar is leading the fiat currencies down. Because that is the key. Because the dollar is the reserve currency. Gold and the dollar compete for reserve status. So when the dollar is the weakest link in the currency chain, that is the most bullish environment for gold. And that is the environment that we are headed for. And we're headed there quick.